And uh, the youth uh, can make your way out now to your group, um, where you will be met. Good morning. Nice to see you all. Welcome. So uh, I'm Paul, um, I'm the acting lead pastor here at Granville Chapel. If you're here visiting us for the first time, it's, uh, it's great to be able to welcome you. Uh, you're joining us in uh, the fourth week of Advent as we continue in our series, Come to Worship. And uh, we've been led through our thoughts of what it means to come to worship as those who are blessed. Uh, Adip brought the message uh, about Mary and her response. Um, then we were... Uh, we considered from David uh, what it means to worship God in the company of heaven as we're caught up uh, into God's divine purposes. Um, last week, we considered what it means to come before God empty-handed. And this morning, as we consider the story of the Magi coming uh, in search for Jesus to worship him, they do so come, they come bearing gifts. So what does that mean uh, for us to come uh, to worship bearing gifts? Um, it's a, I mean, that, the whole gift thing is a conversation. There's probably lots going on in your home as you're considering it and what that's going to mean. Um, my daughter asks me repeatedly, Daddy, uh, what, what would you like for Christmas? And, um, which is sweet. Uh, and I irritate her with my response, usually saying, oh, you know, joy, love, peace, healing, <laughs> and uh, faith. And actually, she sort of rolls her eyes, said, no, oh, but Daddy, apart from those things. Uh, what do you want? And so I came up with an idea after, inspired after, I don't know if you were aware yesterday morning if you looked out the window at about 7 o'clock, it was still dark, but it was raining pretty hard and it continued to rain for the next few hours. Well, some of us were out running uh, in that time and it was cold and very wet and so I thought, I know what I want, I know what I need and I said, maybe you could get me some nice running gloves that would be waterproof, that would be nice. To which she sighed and, and said, no, Daddy, uh, Mummy's told me that we're not going to get anything that you would buy for yourself. So we're going to get you something that you would never buy for yourself. So um, think of me Christmas morning as I open my gifts and, I don't know, pull out a frilly dress. Um, <laughs> certainly something, I don't know why I said frilly dress. I mean, any dress, uh, frills or otherwise, it, it's probably not going to be on my list. But think of me if you do uh, Christmas morning as I open my gifts with joy and uh, thanksgiving. Um, but it, it is a, a question, you know, what do we, what do we bring? And, and not, not what we want to give, but what is it that the Lord actually requires of us as we come um, to worship him? Jesus reminds us that there is a time coming and actually has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seek. What is it that the Father seeks? What gift is it that the Lord uh, seeks from us? What is an appropriate gift? Well, that we would worship him in spirit and in truth. See, it's God that seeks us out. He, this, these are the kind of worshipers that God seeks, the Father seeks it's he that draws us. It's he that persuades us. Because worship is our human response to the divine initiative. It's always first God's work by his spirit that stirs in us, that brings us to a place of worship. It's our response, as uh, Richard Foster says, to the overtures of love from the heart of the Father. 
Our worship is our response to the overtures of love uh, from the heart of the Father. So with that, as we just take a moment and pause, what I wanted to ask us, so what do we bring this morning? It's not uncommon for me to start a service and welcome you and say, just consider how you're showing up. What are you bringing today as you come to worship? And so what do you bring this morning? What gift do you bear uh, for uh, God before him? As we had beautifully read, we heard the story this morning of the visit uh, of the wise men, the Magi. It was a period after which Jesus had been born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. And they came from the east. These these men, they were not... um, crafty magicians, but they would have been respected members of the community. They would have been seen to have had some secret wisdom concerning the stars that have come from uh, Arabia, Persia, Mesopotamia. We're not entirely sure, but the thing, the significance of, of where these guys had come from was well, it's actually that they were searching and that God actually sought them out far off uh, in the east. And through a sign that they had saw that they recognized that something significant was happening. How did they recognize the times? How did they know what it was was happening? Well, because they studied the scriptures. They would have known from numbers. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. There was something that stirred in them that made them seek out and search for the one who was promised. The significance of this story is that as God is reaching out to those who are far off, that we see in the incarnation story right away that Jesus has come not just for um, the Jews, but for all people. And here we have God calling and meeting us where we are, yet far off, and drawing us to himself. It's not that God is endorsing or through this scripture, we think so stargazing and astronomy and all those things. That's all what, what, we, uh, what we want to be about. But, but God meets us where we are. And in our searching, that he, by his grace and in his mercy, will meet us uh, to draw us to himself. And so it is that these wise men arrive um, before Herod and ask the question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. I wonder what their, you can imagine their expectation. This is something, I mean, the nativity scenes that we see are often the wise men with the shepherds all around, sort of baby Jesus. But this is likely to have happened sometime after the event. Now Jesus was a, was a child, but there was something they expected. This big event, this huge cosmic announcement that had happened, that as they arrived, they, they expected, perhaps, that the whole place would be in party and celebration because this was the one who had been promised. They had come to worship the one to be born king of the Jews, and so they went naturally where they expected to find a king. But they went to Herod's palace, to find the imposter. And it says that Herod was disturbed. He was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Rightly so, because the promise had been that there would be one who would come and who would rule, a rightful ruler uh, would rise. 
And so, so Herod was right to feel disturbed because his place and position was precarious at best. Herod the Great, a symbol of unbelief, cold-hearted and cruel leader, manipulative. He had brought and enjoyed peace for a, for a period of time, but it was relative. he'd lost favor uh, with the people. Despite, despite his generosity, he had built ornate buildings, he'd erected the, the temple, and yet he lived his life uh, in suspicion and fear. He killed his favorite wife, killed her mother, two of her sons. He killed his own eldest son. The Roman Emperor Augustus said it's safer to be Herod's pig than his own son. No wonder then that all of Jerusalem was disturbed by the news. This is only going to go one way. We read on that Herod called his um, wise men and teachers and priests and said, what, you know, what is this about? What do we know about where the Christ was to be born? And they told him, well, it's in Bethlehem in Judea, for it's written by the prophet. And they tell him, Bethlehem, land of Judah, no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so Herod summoned uh, the wise men, the magi, and he sent them to Bethlehem to say, go, go and search for this child. And when you found him, Bring me word so that I can go and worship him too. Isn't it interesting that as the, as the Magi traveled hundreds and hundreds of kilometers, that Herod couldn't make the short journey to find out and see for himself. He had no intention to worship this newborn king. What is that? We see this contrast between the, 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 divide, the heart of worship in the Magi and then this... The, the, the reluctance and the resistance from Herod, a man who was gripped and bound by bitterness and fear, grasping for power. At the time of his death, he had already arranged to arrest all leading dignitaries and people in the community so that at the time of his death, that they would be executed. And so when Herod had died, all of these people were killed, that way guaranteeing that there would be weeping at the time of his death. Here was a man so gripped by fear, so gripped, so, so intent on control by whatever means that he would do whatever he could to hold on to this precarious grip on power that he held. And we read later in verse 16, when, Herod, when the wise men had been warned and they went a different way, he realized that he'd been tricked, he became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all that region who were born two years old or under, according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men. Desperately grasping, desperately by any means to hold on to what he had. Is it possible for us, though, to thwart God's plans and God's purposes? And so we see... And the Magi's response in verses 9 to 11. After listening to the king, after he told them and sent them off, they went on their way and behold, uh, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. 
And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They were beside themselves. They were overjoyed. They bowed down and they worshipped him. The star had stopped. This miraculous happening that had guided them this great distance and brought them before the king of kings, the long-awaited Messiah. Don't we see in this the work again of the Holy Spirit? What was it about this moment at this time that they could see in this child with his mother in this lowly status something to be worshipped, that they would bow down and then proceed to give him gifts of great value and great worth, of gold, of frankincense and myrrh. You see, it is, when we come to worship, it is God's initiative. It's the stirring of the Spirit in our heart. It's when His Spirit touches our spirit that He ignites our hearts in praise. Do you know that feeling? Have you experienced that feeling as you come before God to worship Him, as you contemplate, as you apprehend Jesus? Have you felt that stirring and that ignition of passion and worship in your heart? And I want to ask again, what then do we bring when we come before Jesus? Paul says in Romans 12, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship to bring yourselves, your whole selves, as living sacrifices, everything about your life, to bring it before him as your act of worship. Now, there's lots that we can do. We can have the best techniques. We can sing the best worship set. We can have the most amazing where there are all sorts of practices and methods that we can use But worship only really happens when spirit touches spirit, when the spirit of God ignites in us a passion for his name. So Paul is, the apostle Paul is encouraging us to respond. Our worship is a response to what God has done for us. And what God has done for us is something that we could never do for ourselves. The gift of Jesus who has made a way for us to worship the Father in spirit and truth. And Paul says that when we come to worship him, that we come, all of us, we bring all of us, everything that we are, and we lay it before him. What is the most precious gift? What is the most appropriate gift that we would bring to God right now, in this time, at any time? It's our whole selves. When my daughter says to me, Daddy, what would you like for Christmas? I really want from my child. I don't, I don't need anything from you. But I'll have a hug. I love you. I just want to be with you. Isn't that the word of the Father to us? What can we bring to him? I mean, we sang that right at the very beginning, right? The little drum of what, what can we bring? We bring our whole selves. And what do we bring in our whole selves today? I think we could bring weariness. I think we could be bringing a tiredness, pain. Maybe we're bringing fear before God. Maybe there's a, there's a reluctance. Maybe there's, there's doubt. Maybe, maybe we're a bit angry about something. 
We may be in that place of overwhelming gratitude and joy, and we bring hearts overflowing. But I don't think any of us could go through the last two years and come out feeling unscathed. So what do we bring before him today? Because that's what the Lord is asking us to bring. Not to pretend, not to be any less, but to come before him, bringing our whole selves to him. Because in that place of surrender, in that place of humility, in that place of need, God, by his spirit, ministers to us, and then our spirit is ignited in praise and worship to him. We respond to what God has done in us and for us already. So as we come before him, tired and weary, broken-hearted, angry, in ill health, in weakness, Jesus says, yeah, like that, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. How do we come to worship? What gifts do we bring? What do we bring of ourselves to God this morning as we seek to praise him? How can we do that? Why should we? We read in Proverbs, the ways in which we come before the Lord is to trust in him with all our heart, not to lean on our own understandings, but in all of our ways to submit to him, and he will make our path straight, not to be wise in our own eyes, but to fear the Lord and shun evil, because this will bring health to our bodies and nourishment to our bones. To honor the Lord with our wealth, with the first fruits of all our crops. Then our barns will be filled to overflowing, and our vats will brim over with new wine. But all of that begins with the word trust. What is it the Lord seeks of us? Will we bring him our trust? Will we put our faith and our confidence in him? So as we consider that question of can we trust God, I want to ask you, like, what does it normally take for you to be able to trust someone? Friends, people that you know, colleagues that you work with, friends at college, new acquaintances, what does it take for us to trust somebody? And then I want to ask you this to consider. Where is God asking you to trust him right now? With what is God asking you to trust him right now? Who is God asking you to trust for him right now? And as you consider those things, as you come and bring your whole self to him in worship, your living sacrifice, our whole self, all of these questions, all of these concerns, all of these thoughts, as we bring them to him, in ways that we want to submit to him, as we read in Proverbs. I want us to ask again, what small steps can we take today to develop our trust in Jesus? Like if God is calling us to a place that we can worship him in spirit and truth, that we would give our whole, size, whole selves and live before him as a living sacrifice, then that requires trust. 
That requires us not to trust our own understanding, not to live like Herod and, and grip wholeheartedly to try and control every element of our lives, the things we don't understand, the things we don't like, but to submit it and to surrender it to God. So where is the Lord asking us to trust him today? And what do we bring to him this morning? You might think, well, this is starting to sound a little costly. As we consider what it means to come to Jesus, to bring ourselves to him, that sounds costly. Well, it is, actually. David said, I'm not sacrificed to the Lord my God, burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So as we consider our worship and what we bear, what we bring before the Lord, the gifts that we bring, do we feel it? Or is it passive? I don't think it can be. So what do we bring before him? Because it's not easy to trust in him wholeheartedly. That means I've got to submit to his will and to his purposes. That means I need to lay down some of the things that I want. I need to trust him when, when I can't make things out in my own way, in my own understanding, when things don't look right on the surface, can I trust that God is working? Because to come to him and give our whole selves to him requires us to trust in him. So where is the Lord asking you to trust him? Where do you need to exercise? Where is he encouraging you, us, to trust him more? We read in, in, in that text of uh, Proverbs, honor the Lord with your wealth. We, and we were talking about at the moment there's opportunities to give and, and how we respond to God. And is that an area that for some of us that struggle? What does it mean to honor God? To serve him, to give to him generously. Second Corinthians, we're reminded that we give what we've decided to give in our hearts, to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, but because God loves a cheerful giver. So we decide what we're going to give. The Lord says, yeah, come. Come. Not under compulsion, but what you've decided in your heart to give. The, the major decided far off what they were going to bring. They gave in their time. They made this arduous journey. It was risky. It was dangerous. It took time. To follow Jesus is going to interrupt the everyday passage of our day, of our, of our life, of our existence, of our choices, of, of, yeah, how we use our money, how we invest our time, the relationships that we pursue, the way we seek to be used by God, the gifts that he's given us. How can we use them to honor him, to take a risk? Maybe there's something that the Lord has laid on your heart, but it, it feels a little risky. What does it mean to trust him in that today? We bear gifts. We bear gifts because love gives. We give because love gives. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And we give gifts because we're out of love and we love because he first loved us. Even while we were yet far off, Christ died for us. So I think this morning as we come to this text and we consider what it is we bring before God, 
We're presented in this story with two responses. We have that of the Magi and that of Herod. Two kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And which one do we choose to rule over us? Which one do we want to submit to? Now both sought to bring peace. Herod's by the sword. Through power, through intimidation, through fear. But the other kingdom would go a very different way of laying down his own life in obedience to the will of the Father. Jesus also brought peace to us by reconciling us to the Father through his death on the cross. But he said in Matthew, you don't suppose I've come to bring peace? I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus promises to pierce every piece that is not founded in our relationship with him. That he'll cut through it. As Herod sought to establish peace, to maintain control and power, he did so in a way that it was not lasting and couldn't be sustained. And so as we consider again what we bring, what we bear as we come to worship God, we ask again, what is an appropriate gift? What can I bring before the King of Kings this morning? Will you bring him your trust? And will you choose to give him your life this morning? Susan is going to lead us now in a time of communion. We're going to continue in our worship. And we worship physically with all of ourselves, that's physically that we can touch, smell, taste, see. So that in our worship, we take of communion and that we enter into the death of Jesus so that we can also live the resurrected life of Jesus. As you come to celebrate communion this morning, Maybe for some of us, it will be for the first time having made a decision. Jesus, yes, I choose to follow you. I want your way, and I want your kingdom, and I choose to trust you today. So let me pray for us, and if that, particularly for you, uh, is a decision that you'd like to make, uh, I pray that you would have the courage uh, by the Spirit to do so. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you come to us. And to worship you is to respond to the work that you have done and that you are doing. That by your spirit you would stir us to you, that you would ignite in our hearts a passion for you. Lord, may we learn to trust you. May we turn to you. May we submit to you. And Lord, as we come to worship you this morning, may we do so bringing our whole selves, all that we are, and all that we have. Knowing, Lord, that you come to us, that you receive us. Lord, that we can bring you 
our concerns and our fears and our hurts and our disappointments. And that you promise to take them from us, to lay them at your feet and to embrace us and to receive us into your arms. And so, Lord Jesus, we come by your spirit, through your son.